Hello and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Mark Stockley. Hello. Paul Duckley. Hello folks. And producer Alice. Hello again. How are you all? Very well. Very excellent. Uh, I'm dying inside my sweat lodge and I've only been in it for about 15 seconds. So if you hear lots of uncontrollable fidgeting and scratching uh, and perhaps gasping for breath and then maybe a thudding noise, <laughs> perhaps the noise of blankets nope. being dragged over hard surfaces, uh, alarmed children, then don't worry about it. Then it's don't do it's much. just, yeah, it's just the usual pillow fort Is um, the, does the Does the exceptionally long beard make you hotter? <laughs> well, I think that's for other to, others to decide, Anna. What, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I can't see you, Mark. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be sure to do give you, you mean, an opinion Do you on mean that. warmer? Yes, I, that is what or I mean. Or do you mean more attractive? Well, I mean, I'm happy for you to discuss either. But I did <laughs> well, mean warmer. Actually, it's a moot point because the, the beard has gone. Has it? What? Well, no, I say, I say gone. I mean, you know me. I mean, I just returned to normal, like minimal beard length. Oh, okay. You basically yeah. did a the tiny bit of trimming. Reopened, and you were in there for a for the hedge trimmer, were you? <laughs> I, I already had a hedge trimmer, but I was so I was growing the beard because why the hell not? Uh, and I, I posted that photo of me holding a biro in the beard, and then I, I looked at it the following day, and I was I was mildly disgusted with myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Echoed the thoughts <laughs> of the naked security followers. I <laughs> thought you'd let yourself so the go a bit. Did was, you? It didn't make you hotter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving Do you have on. a fly swatter in your pillow fort, like in case a bee or a wasp or something gets in there? If a bee or a wasp gets in here, only one of us is getting out alive. <laughs> there isn't much room for a bee or a wasp. <laughs> okay, okay that, that's a sensible precaution. Shall we uh, talk about the stories? Doug's going to be talking about some Microsoft patches you'll want to apply. Mark's going to tell us whether we need to worry about fan vibrations, and I'll be talking about incentives to use 2FA. Before all that, here's a quick roundup of a few other stories from the last week or so. The people behind Shade Ransomware have apparently posted all 750,000 decryption keys on GitHub. They also posted a message that said, We are the team which created a Trojan encryptor mostly known as Shade, Trolldash, or Encoder.a. In fact, we stopped its distribution at the end of 2019. Now we made a decision to put the last point in this story and to publish all the decryption keys we have. They go on to apologise to their victims and say they hope the keys will help them recover their data. Of course, we've seen this before with the people behind Gancrab after they posted a retirement notice online, but now it's looking like they're the people behind Sodonique Keepy, so they may not be nice gone one. forever. Thanks. Uh, so I guess we we'll just watch, watch this space. Am I allowed yeah, to swear on the great. podcast? Um, no, but we can believe okay. it. Can we believe it? Okay. Well, they can. They can <laughs> off. Frankly. <laughs> well, I was yeah, thinking. I, I'm, what's I'm, the done, point? I'm done with these apologies. I mean, I, I'm great. I'm glad that they have posted the decryption keys four to, months later to <laughs> unpick some small vestige of the giant problem that they created but they created a giant problem and i hope that they are uh, discovered and locked up for a very long time screw them well that's the thing with it. so they published the keys but as duck said that's four months four months since they say they stopped it and uh, presumably if you get it caught by ransomware you need your files back before four months so you've either paid the ransomware or you found backups i mean who's it helping really not that many people yeah, because there's a school of thought that says, oh, well, back up your encrypted files, all of them, all across your network, just in case the keys come out later. Oh, right. Okay. And, you know, it's easy to say, but it's that's just sort of almost adding insult to injury, oh, I, isn't it? I've got a suggestion. If you want to apologise, give all the money back that you extorted and then march yourself into a police station. 
It's good to see and then, that you're... And uh, then we'll have a, a, an apology fitting the crime. Mm, very true. Okay, I'll uh, continue. Microsoft's patched a flaw in Teams which could have allowed criminals to launch an attack on multiple accounts by sending one victim a malicious GIF. The researchers who found the flaw created a proof of concept Donald Duck Evil GIF image. And when the GIF was opened, it could have allowed them to access a user's chats, control their account and forward the same message to anyone in that group and therefore repeat the process. The researchers said that without quick intervention, this could have allowed an attack to compromise large numbers of big company accounts and groups. But luckily, Microsoft did intervene quickly and the flaw has been patched. So go get your updates. I see you nailed your colours to the mask there, Anna. With well, GIF versus GIF. Oh, I know. I know. I can't. I can't do it. I can never remember which is the original and which is the right one. It's so GIF, I, I, I think. But I I'm, GIF, I'm a GIF, rebel. GIF is the, the the right one, and GIF is the one that you should say because it stands for the word graphics rather than also, graphics. Also, GIF just makes me think of the cleaning product. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is now SIF. Not endorsing that. I don't. So know. N- now that we've got uh, now that we've got this. <laughs> Now that we've got this bug in Teams, I, I trust there's going to be a sort of giant breathless overreaction on Twitter for several weeks about why you shouldn't be using Teams and Microsoft oh, is evil. I see. Because of the well, Zoom thing. That's what we do these days, isn't it? If, it, if there's a party. problem with your with your video conferencing or chatting. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So it's yeah, like this rotating carousel of video conferencing solution. <laughs> Have Which about 12 lined up, like on a clock, and every time the hour hand moves along one, you, you switch to the next one. Turns out when your applications are subjected to an order of magnitude, more scrutiny, more stuff turns up. Go figure. In a sort of perfect storm full of just the right words, fishers are taking advantage of remote working and people worrying about their jobs. We saw a fish this week which invites you to join a Zoom meeting with HR. The message says, your presence is crucial to this meeting. So um, I'm thinking if you're busy and you're in a panic about being invited to a meeting with HR, um, you can see how this might be a fish that you'd fall for. Uh, If you click on the link, it takes you to a fake login page, which you shouldn't normally see given that you don't need to log in to just attend a Zoom meeting. So hopefully that's enough to stop people in their tracks. But anyway, this might be one to warn your colleagues about. So we'll stick a link in the show notes to the article that Duck wrote, which includes screenshots that you can share. So I think in the current climate, just avoid meetings with HR. It's probably the safest oh, thing to do. That's <laughs> fantastic advice, Mark. <laughs> Just they're like, there's no good can come of a meeting with HR right now, nope, frankly. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the wording in this one is actually quite cunning because it sort of implies that everyone's getting together and there's going to be a bit of a bun fight about who gets the chop and who doesn't. So the implication is obviously if you don't show up, you might not be able to fight your corner and you might, you know, the... So there's it, the wording well, is like very companies, simple. The companies are turning into the apprentice, and everybody has to be in the same meeting and just throw everyone else under the bus. That would be quite. <laughs> Sorry, fun. guys. There's only three <laughs> jobs for the twenty of you. Who deserves <laughs> to get the chop? <laughs> I would go to that meeting. <laughs> exactly, it'd be great. Um, Doug, you're going to tell us about a flaw in a non-Microsoft product that affects Microsoft products. Yes. Oh, right now you mean. If you could. Oh, yes. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> you know we're on this podcast. Yeah. If was, you could talk, that'd be great. Well, no, I was kind of – I'd got lost in that Zoom HR scam because it is <laughs> – it is, it's, it's, it's just a nasty piece of work. Um, yes, this is an interesting reminder that the bugs and bug fixes – aren't necessarily just one bug, one app, one fix, one patch, but they may affect the whole ecosystem. Uh, So the story is that Microsoft issued a security advisory with the catchy name of 
ADV 200004, the fourth one of the... Actually, I don't know what that number is. I'm about to say the fourth one of the year 2000, but that would be absurd. So you, you don't uh, have to worry about that one because it, it doesn't have a fancy name like, you know, Bloodlust or, or you know... Well, it, Can it I has, just say, I don't mind a fancy bug name. What? Well, this one, it does have a <laughs> meaningful a name, but it's not nice. exactly catchy like... If they just called it Film Hack or something, everyone would have remembered it. But it's Availability of Updates for Microsoft Software Utilizing the Autodesk FBX Library, which is quite a mouthful. And if you were to glance at that, you might think, hey, Autodesk, they're known for for AutoCAD, the product AutoCAD famously, and for a whole load of other software relating to 3D video and games creation and stuff. So the point is, if you're a Microsoft Office user, then you might think, you know what, I don't use any uh, Autodesk products. I've never heard of FBX files. I hadn't. It turns out it's short for Filmbox. So you might be inclined to go, oh, clearly that doesn't apply to me. But it turns out that Office the, the Office 2019, uh, let me just double check that. Um, it turns out that Office 2019 and Office 365 Pro Plus, those are the two main versions affected here, actually incorporate some Autodesk code. And because of course Autodesk, they do. <laughs> Autodesk, well, actually, a lot of people on Naked Security said, why would why would you have support in office for these film box files because yeah. they're mainly to do with motion capture and stuff but yet they are a way of of container files for things that that mix together stuff that might come from digital con- content creators somewhere else in your company so we are actually getting used to the idea that if you use a product like office or maybe an open source equivalent that no matter what file format somebody sends you you can still import it and adapt it for your presentation if you need so you want to be able to load movies and audio and all of this stuff so it's not that unnatural that you might want hey it would be great to be able to add you know 360 degree rotating 3d models as well um, <laughs> I, but- I don't know about you but i often add 3d rotating models to my to the letters i write in word <laughs> i put what them in my powerpoint mark <laughs> oh actually yes you probably do yeah <laughs> yeah i think you yeah you think broader than word right there's you know in the business context particularly these days when everything's online and you, you know you you, re, you may rely on visuals in say a powerpoint presentation so although it sounds far-fetched as people said, like commenter said on the Naked Security article, golly, when I've been, you know, when I've been typing in my latest invoice to send off to to uh, <laughs> a customer, I've, I've definitely wanted motion capture. But nevertheless, it's a feature. It's in the product. It supports these files, and unfortunately, it meant that Microsoft inherited from Autodesk updates needed in Autodesk's security advisory ADSK-SA-2000-0002 vulnerabilities in the Autodesk FBX software development kit, another sea of words. Basically, from the fact that the CVE numbers, there are several of them, I won't list them now. All these came out in sequence. It sort of looks as though Autodesk did some kind of code review or a bug finding hunt, and they came up with a whole series of stuff, cleaned up their code, fixed some problems that could perhaps have led to things like remote code execution or code crashes, and published update to their products, which of course includes updates to their software development kit, which their own products use, and it turns out other products, notably including Microsoft Office use. So here you have a situation for a file format you may never have heard of, you you might not need, that somehow affects 
somebody else's products, but also means you need an update for Office. And uh, to make it even more interesting, it also turns out that there are actually two components built into Windows 10. They're quite cool programs, actually. Paint 3D, which is if you want to have 3D fun instead of 2D fun, it's an up, an upgrade, an update to Microsoft old Microsoft Paint and a program called 3D Viewer. Um, those are actually part of Windows 10, and in those you can open these FBX files. For example, if you want to open a, a 3D model, digital model or something like that. And so, in fact, you need to patch those, which of course means uh, getting a Windows 10 update. And because this is a so-called out-of-band patch, we didn't come in Patch Tuesday, You know, I, I guess Microsoft quite rightly uh, and did the decent thing and said to people, hey, this is out there, make sure you've got it. So it's a simple fix, but it's something that you know, if you've got in the habit of, oh, patching on Windows means every the second Tuesday of every month, I go and check for updates and then I stand down from red alert. Uh, you know, you need to be a little bit more continuously vigilant, if you like, these days, just mm. in case something like this should happen. This just makes me wonder what else you can open with Microsoft Office. Like, where is the next attack going to come from? What are we going to discover next week? Mm. That, you know, what do you reckon, seems Mark? Like a good Seems like a good use case for plugins. I think we're at the point. I always maintain that, that Microsoft Office was feature complete in about 1996, <laughs> and everything since then has just been well, when when the when the macro programming language matured into visual basic for applications. <laughs> you mean? Yeah. 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 Also, also, I don't want to be funny, Mark, but if you can do painting in 3D, that's clearly evolved since 1996. Yeah, I guess. Anna's got a point, Mark. You know, do do you want your programs to be like Paint was in 1992, or do you want them to be a bit cooler? Because it is. I think quite I amazing, actually do. I, I I had a lot of fun with Paint in 1992. So it was, did I. I yeah. I mean, I was born in 1992, but <laughs> I had a lot of fun with Paint. It was good, wasn't it? And Clipper. <laughs> You're a precocious child. I can tell. <laughs> no, and Clippy. Even. My, yeah, my friend used to send me um, like letters that he had uh, like cards that he'd made in oh paint dear, and he used to draw them. Going? <laughs> <laughs> and they were drawings of no they were they were sweet drawings of, like it this was is, when Wallace and Gromit were big so there's Wallace and Gromit <laughs> yeah <laughs> before DMs <laughs> oh no. that's the way he slid into my DMs <laughs> Don't, you've made it weird now, and I was just telling you a nice story, but fine, let's just move on. <laughs> Mark? Oh, is it me? Mark, what are you talking Hang about? Hang on, I have to, I have to well, cave a hole in my in my pillow fort so that I can see. Do you know what? We go through the running order of the podcast before yeah. we start the podcast, yet both of you haven't been ready. Yeah, whatever. So yeah. I suggest that next episode, yeah. we'll just listen a bit more. Well, go on then. first next time, then we'll that will reduce our choices to one of two. So we, if we both toss coins, we've got a one in four chance of coming out right. Yeah, so in yeah, a way, Duck's saying it's your fault. Yeah, don't blame the victim. <laughs> Mark, what are you talking about this week? I'm talking about good vibrations. Oh. Thanks to the Beach Boys. We're keeping that here. Uh, oh, God. Yep. Carry on. Yeah, go on, Duck. Go on. Are you, you might are you... need to explain what the no, Beach Boys is. I don't sing. There's, sing that, there's, there's no way you're not going to sing. You're not getting out of here without singing now. I told you I don't listen to music with vocals anymore. It's instrumental. Well, and that's how you out. didn't no, know that there was a song called Good Vibrations. I've heard you break into song on a number of occasions. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't imply that I listen 
to... Yes, but as long as you've listened to music in the last however many... I don't think the Beach Boys are new, Dirk. They've been around a while. <laughs> I mean, I think they were before me. They were around before you went instrumental only. They were. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> Mark, are you going to so, sing? Anyone want to sing? I get, no, absolutely not, no. Okay. And if you heard me sing, you'd agree. Good, 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 good vibrations. There you go, he can do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it wasn't I think, funny, I think we, should just, we should just end my story there. Yeah. All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be talking about good vibrations thanks to something called Air Viber. What okay. is it? Well, it isn't a way to amuse yourself if you're on your own during lockdown. It's Hello? a seismic data exfiltration technique for getting data off air-gapped computers, of course. And that's what you should tell anyone who walks in on you when you're air vibing. <laughs> the new technique <laughs> comes to us via Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, which will come as no surprise if you're into this yeah. stuff, because the researchers there have basically made a name for themselves or made a name for the university in the field of eye-catching data exfiltration techniques. Uh, and they all start with the same premise, which is that you've got, okay, so you've got an air-gapped computer, which is a computer that's not connected to a network. And somehow you've managed to get some malware onto that computer. The malware's found some data, and now it wants to get the data off the air-gapped computer, which isn't connected to a network. Uh, and it wants to get the data onto your computer. So how could you do that? And for years and years, that university has been producing research, explaining or demonstrating different ways that you might do, the, do that using some really interesting techniques like uh, taking over the blinky lights on the front of your computer. So they did a fantastic video where they, they flew some drones uh, up to the windows of an office building and then they <laughs> blinked a message to the drone using the little blinky green lights on the front of a server. Her, air, le, per. <laughs> I they think that's blinking a message to us. Are you exfiltrating <laughs> yeah. some data? Yeah, it's <laughs> considerably faster than their, than their systems are able to do. Yes, yeah. it's not quick. I think it's more, it's more like a question of per it's, minute. <laughs> it's possible rather than quick. So they did the drone video. They've also done the uh, blinky lights on your keyboard. Uh, they've done the blade pass frequency of your computer fans and the brightness of your screen. So varying the brightness of your screen to send a message. And they've also done uh, research using the invisible to the human eye infrared LEDs on security cameras. Well, AirViber is here now, and that tackles the same question, but instead of using light or heat or sound or electromagnetic waves, it uses vibrations, and it works like this. Instead of using a light, heat, sound, or electromagnetic waves, I nearly managed to say electromagnetic then, uh, it uses vibrations, and it works like this. Most computers have a fan, and the fan unintentionally vibrates the computer it's in, and in turn, the vibrating computer vibrates the surface it's on. Now, the computer controls the fan speed, and thus the computer also controls the vibrations. So if you can get some malware onto the computer, then your malware can control the computer, which controls the fan, which vibrates the computer, which vibrates the desk. And so your malware now controls a vibrating desk. Or, and we're half we're halfway there. Or upturned washing basket, which is what I'm currently using in my pillow fort to balance my computer on. <laughs> Are you suggesting that as a sort of countermeasure to air fiber? No, I'm suggesting it would upturned possibly work basket. on that too. Your, you your can't be too careful. Upturned washing basket is vibrating in tune with your uh, computer. Absolutely. So 
so we've got a vibrating desk. You've got malware that's basically controlling a vibrating desk. All you've got to do now is put a seismometer on the desk next to the vibrating computer, and mm. you can read its vibrations. I easy, can see. right? Mm. Now, it's not easy, but it is easier than you might think. And that's because it so happens that lots of us are walking around with phones that include accelerometers, and a phone with an accelerometer can be used to read vibrations as a kind of seismometer. Uh, and what's more, the accelerometer data can be accessed by apps on the phone without asking the user for permissions. And in fact, the accelerometer is even accessible via JavaScript without asking the user for permission, which means... You could conceivably create a website and the website could read the vibrations off the phone, although mm. you would have to get the person to visit the website. So in the end, all we have to do is put some malware on the computer that can control the fan and some malware on the phone of someone who works near the computer and then have that person put the phone down on the desk that's vibrating because of the computer. And then the phone can read the vibrations and then presumably store the data and then somehow you take it off the phone, get the phone to send it to someone else or steal the phone from the person uh, at the end of the day. Simple. Mm. Isn't it easier to just just give them 50 bucks and say, since they're letting (laughs) you take your phone into the secure area, why don't you snap a screenshot or three while you're in there and bring them out to the Lady Gaga CD? (laughs) Also, infinitely harder in coronavirus times, surely. Because no one's moving anywhere, so everyone's at their home. Yeah, perhaps perhaps the timing on this one was, you know, obviously they did the yeah, research, uh, perhaps not knowing that nobody yeah. would ever be able to meet up with anybody ever again. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It doesn't sound like something I'm going to be too worried about. I well, suppose I think it's that's... an interesting reminder that if you are, if you have a secure area, and you let people take phones in, then just saying well, you have to leave your phone on the desk and I don't want to see you touching it, which would obviously, you imagine if there's some kind of security guard or surveillance in the secure area, if you lifted up your phone to take a photo of the screen, it would kind of stand out, obviously. I guess this is a warning that phones have sensors that can determine the the data from their surroundings, even when they're in the case closed and just sitting on your desk. So the moral of the story is if you have a truly secure area, do what, what uh, you know, a military establishment might do and have little lock boxes outside where people have to leave their phones behind. Lock them up. Each party takes a key, like in a hotel safe deposit box, and then you get it back later. That way, if you don't have the phone, then all of this is moot. I think what you have to do with this research is is – Firstly, I, I, I think it's great. It's, it's amusing yeah. and eye-catching, and I'm, I, I'm sure it does a great job for them in terms of driving uh, publicity and, and uh, getting people to study at the university. But if you imagine, like most of the time, what we're talking about is uh, people who want to make money by extorting you, putting ransomware on your uh, computer or logging your keystrokes or something like that. And... So we're talking about how do you defend against those people? And you look at stuff like this, and they're basically saying, look look what's possible. Now, when I see something like this, I think, okay, this is a bunch of students doing this. Now, imagine that what you're trying to do is find out what the president of the United States is talking about with his close confidants. So he's got a thing called a... He's got a... (laughs) He's got a thing called a skiff, which is a sort of secure communications tent that goes with him everywhere. So if he's in an insecure environment, he can effectively create a secure environment in which to have uh, conversations. I imagine and calls and things Donald like that. Trump thinks it's an actual tent. 
Well, regardless of who's president, they get given this skiff, whether they camp in it or use it for communications. Um, And so if you imagine that that's the person that you're trying to bug, you're already mentally adjusting to the idea, oh, you're going to have to do something quite extraordinary. I expect, you know, you're not going to be able to use use your techniques. And if you're the person trying to defend the skiff, you have to think, well, what might somebody do? What might somebody with enormous resources be able to do in order to bug me and and find out what I'm doing. So this is what a university can do with a bit of off the wall thinking. Now imagine that they've got millions and millions of dollars to spend on perfecting this technique. And then I think it's reasonable to say, all right, what does a very, very secure environment need to be secure against? You know, what are the off the wall one-off techniques that we do? You don't want to discover, you know, the bug embedded in the foundations or the walls 30 years after it was put in there. You want to, you know, never have that problem in the first place. So I will give you some suggestions that came with the research paper. So the first suggestion was actually just having some space around your computer, having computers in secure zones, because you actually have to get the phone quite close to the computer in order for this to work. Mm. So just making sure that there's a zone around your computer in which you're not allowed to put things is a good start. Um, the other things that they, they uh, mention in the research papers, you can actually fit an accelerator, an accelerometer to the computer itself to see if the computer is making weird vibrations um you could try and detect uh, if software is accessing the fan because under normal operations there isn't really any user land software that should be doing anything with a fan so that's a big red flag um, and then the last thing which i thought was the most interesting because you know there, there, there's always a, a possibility with software that it's going to miss something was that you could actually jam the signal so you could make it so that the computer itself is randomly changing the speed of the fan so that that wouldn't get annoying just... quickly at all would it <laughs> i mean that does sound like my computer anyway if you just had a flash game on the computer playing in the background too, i have to open too many too many tabs on my firefox <laughs> the other thing i think you could do that i don't think they mentioned which would be quite good is if you are allowed to take your phone into the secure area and you're worried then you could just basically put a put a music player on your phone or find the one that's already there and just play some music like for example mm. good vibrations by the beach boys mm. and leave your phone on the desk and that will certainly i would imagine dampen out any chance that the accelerometer has of of getting the the, the vibrations or the, the the sound from the from the fan Presumably rubber desks or upturned washing baskets would work as well. <laughs> Let's try it. Or, you know, you could just put a foam pad under the computer. Or you could get a laptop that doesn't have a fan. Yeah. Or put, put it on a pillow. Imagine going to all that effort of producing that, like, million-dollar ransomware and putting it on the computer and then finding out there isn't a fan. <laughs> I presume you do. I mean, also the malware like would have no way. It would have no way of telling anyone it was on the computer, and the computer didn't have a fan. <laughs> and then you realise, oh darn! I thought they were using Android. They've got all got iPhones. Developed the wrong app. Tarnation. <laughs> I'm presuming I this is going to be quite targeted, a, though. It's not. Like I think there is something random. interesting though that comes out of this, and that is that it's a good way of reminding the rest of us that maybe 
access to system collected data that used to seem uncontroversial, like the accelerometer, maybe isn't such a good idea because there are some privacy implications after all. I think we've already seen We've seen that a few times, haven't we? Yeah, there was one where that somebody figured out they 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 could probably from your accelerometer work out where you, if you they knew you're on a particular metro rail line subway rail line they could work out which one you're on from the from the sort of the way mm. the train rattled because between each station the track had different patterns that they could measure out so i guess the same thing you know with javascript used to allow really precise system timing because that was seen as really really necessary for games but it turns out that could that could let you uh, sneak stuff out of the CPU using sort of, you know, various attacks like I nearly said with there uh, and the rest. And so the response was, well, maybe games don't need nanosecond accuracy after all. And maybe that's the case here. Maybe, you know, the accelerometer, because it does give away information about your surroundings. Maybe that is worth protecting against apps by default on privacy grounds alone. So you think that access to the accelerometer ought to be part of the application permissions when you when you say yes it's okay for this app to to access mm. this stuff. I don't know. Well that's a yeah, uh, that's a $64,000 question isn't it because of course the more options you get the more complicated it gets and lots of apps do make reasonable use of the accelerometer you know if you've got a, an app that tells want to see how fast you're going or do gps stuff or how you're turning or have a compass and stuff like that so yeah i guess we'd end up with having to go through about a week of a questionnaire before deciding which permissions <laughs> we wanted to give to every app but it i could feel be like warning, it's the- you know. I feel like it's a little bit more clear cut with uh, with browsers. So there's all sorts of guff in browsers that doesn't need to be in there now. We talk about Office being feature complete in '96. I think browsers were feature complete in about 2005, and since then there's, there's just there's so many APIs now for so many different features and access to batteries and uh, ridiculously sensitive system timing and, and accelerometers and things like this, and the number of the number of websites that actually make sensible use of those things is so small. I'm, I'm not quite sure why the rest of us, it's a bit like these FBX files. You know, why does my office application need to be able to open a, a 3D rotating map when some vanishingly tiny percentage of people really need that feature? Why isn't mm. that something I, I have? I can switch on with a plug-in or something like that if I if I really need it? Because almost nobody needs it. Same with macros. So I could go on. Somebody else should speak now. Okay. So uh, I'm going to talk today about multi-factor authentication, which I'm sure you're very excited about. But stay with me. Um, so Epic Games, for a year or two, has been giving away free games on its Epic Games store, um, which is great. I mean, I'm not a gamer, but I can imagine that free games are good. Free stuff's always good. Um, but this week, Epic announced that you're going to have to have 2FA enabled in order to benefit from these free games. So oh. games, mm, gamers got a notification to let them know that between the 28th of April and 21st of May, I find it weird it's got an end date, but anyway, Epic will be periodically requiring that people enable 2FA to claim the free games. The notification said, we understand that this is a minor inconvenience for some, but we want to provide the best possible solutions to protect your Epic account. Um, and it isn't the first time that Epic has done something like this. They previously incentivized people to enable 2FA by giving away by giving away an emote 
dance move in Fortnite, which means nothing to me because I don't play Fortnite, but uh, it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> have I said I'm not a gamer? Uh, <laughs> and so I know I other companies... I think you just have to be a nine-year-old in- to understand that, not gamer. Yeah. I know other companies incentivize too. MailChimp offers a 10% discount for a few months if you set up 2FA, and I'm sure there are plenty of others. Um which strikes me that this is a good idea, right? You say, great, Mark, It's we clearly need to do something and there are enough credential stuffing attacks for us to know that people aren't getting the password message. Um, so what do you guys think? Should we? Is it a good idea to incentivize people? I think this is fantastic. It's about damn time. I mm. I don't understand with, with 2FA. If you just let people who, who want to sign up for 2FA, then mm. so far in the history of 2FA, it seems like quite a small percentage of people will sign up. Mm. And you have to think, well, those are probably the people who are taking the best care of themselves anyway. They're probably the people with really strong passwords. Because if you understand what 2FA 2FA is and why it's worth going through that. Yeah. You know, the, the, the increased difficulty of switching it on versus not switching it on. Um, so absolutely, companies have got to uh, get with the program and start making it mandatory. Mm. So, well, that's why I, I would go mandatory. I think if you're Facebook and you've got two billion users, you can probably start telling people like that people are invested in your platform and they're not uh, leaving to go to other places in any kind mm. of hurry. There's no there's no Facebook killer out there. You can start saying to people, right, we're going to switch on 2FA. You've got to use it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this is fantastic. This is another way of doing it. Well, I was thinking it's 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 might be it's a better alternative. You know, we were talking a couple. Of, I don't know if it's last week or the week before about password managers and teaching your friends and family. And and if you could get them to switch on two FA, or if they were forced to switch on two FA, that is a slightly friendlier security step, I think, than password managers because they people are already forced to do it with some things. Like you're forced to do it with your bank. So everybody that does stuff online. Um, I, they're used to it in some form, whereas password managers is another step. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's a good idea. Dark, what do you reckon? I think part of the reaction that people have to two FA is the fact that it doesn't actually make you completely secure. It doesn't sort out the problems of of authentication and online fraud. It just makes things. A tiny little bit less inconvenient, a tiny bit less convenient for you, but very much more inconvenient for the crooks. So it, it's just a way of buying more than you'd get, in my opinion, than you would by adding a couple of random characters to your password. And therefore, I'm all in favor of it. But because people hear that message, they go, you often hear this argument that says, oh, well, the security industry, all you techies, you just jump on this bandwagon. You're just saying use 2FA because it's brilliant, but you haven't really thought it through. It doesn't solve all the problems. It's not perfect. Therefore, I'm not going to use it, which seems a little bit of a defeatist attitude. I I think people don't use it because they can't be bothered. I think, oh, they just don't. Why would they? If they, you know, if people... If people haven't had any kind of cyber attack happen to them or they haven't had their data stolen or they, they don't realise they've had their data sto- stolen, like they haven't seen proof of something that's actually damaged them, then they just think, oh, it's not going to happen to me and, oh, I just really want to access my Facebook quickly and I can't remember, so I'm going to set it to Rover 25. Um so it's it's those. I don't think they're thinking. Oh, it's not. It's it's not an. It's not completely foolproof. So I'm not going to do it. I think they just think 
I don't even think about it. I, I, Why would I you agree with you completely. People use that as a kind oh. of excuse that they go, well, you guys are but, saying I have to do this because it's so brilliant, but I look at all these horror stories about people who did use it and it still didn't protect them. Mm. So that's no, as good a reason I, as any. Yeah, I don't think. I, do, I, I don't think that's right at all. I think the vast majority well, of people well, out there don't have people any actually of... say in their comments on naked security. Yeah, that's but they're reading naked frequently. security. They're reading mm. naked security. The people that the vast majority of people out there aren't reading naked security, and I don't think they have any opinion about two FA at all because they don't know it even exists or what it is. If you sh- you should see that obviously since the coronavirus happened, the number of services that that have suddenly had to go digital has, has has increased. And and so there are people sending us passwords and their group passwords like for a, like mm. it might be from a school or and they're they're all appalling. They're they are, you know, the password is like Jeff21 and it's for 30 people and we're going to use it for a month. The the awareness amongst people who don't have to worry about this stuff is non-existent, even on basic password. Uh, security or mm. not having you know or not sharing accounts and things like this we're still right at the bottom of that hill so when you talk yeah. to those people about 2FA they don't even know why they need a strong password and I'm not blaming them that's not their fault uh, no. we need to do a better job of not giving them the option of having to that we need to not give them the option to make poor choices basically yeah, and they're probably not, with banking and stuff they're probably not even thinking that it's called 2FA it's just a way that you get onto your well, online why would you care account? what it's called it's exactly. just I'm online just banking and it's online. a bank yeah exactly exactly um, uh, Mark what would incentivise you then to, to use 2FA if you what would be your incentive that you'd need oh money Alice what would you uh, what would you set up 2FA for chocolate yeah I was thinking chocolate clothes vouchers well there's no point in doing that well no maybe but for like, the future it, it makes me long for a better a better time you know oh Dark, what would you do it for? It is that's it's a tricky question because I guess when it comes to online banking, it's pretty obvious what you're protecting. Well, I I'd do it for money. I give me money. Give me money and I'll do it. I say no incentives though, just force people to do it. Come on. It's time. Let's all take the jump together. I'd do it for a coronavirus free day. That'd be quite nice. Oh, that's so poignant. <laughs> and it, I didn't even think about it. It just came off the top of my head. That's what I really need. It's my inner. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Although I'd be, be nice. a bit worried about a company that could give that to you. Dark, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at DuckBlog on Twitter and at PDucklin on Instagram. And on TikTok? Well, watch this space like you were last week. I know. It's keeping me. There's only so long that we'll be interested for, Dark. Um, Mark, where are you on TikTok? Uh, on TikTok, I'm nowhere to be seen, but you can find me on Instagram at Internet of Hens. Alice, who you do know you recommend? Like the TikTok craze is going to be over by the time that Duck's on it. <laughs> Alice, He's only just gone rec- Vine. Who do you reckon would be the hardest to get on TikTok, Mark or Duck? Hmm. I think Mark because think Mark. Duck would have an audience on there. Mark, I'm sorry, but you wouldn't. Mark would be too. <laughs> Mark, would, Mark would be too serious. Whereas Mark Duck would try and give cybersecurity advice, whereas I think Duck would do the dance, you know, where you have to like point at things and then you write little words and it could be like two-factor authentication. Um, And he'd incorporate it into a dance, whereas I think Mark would just give it as straight advice. That's true. Mark, it's not your platform, Mark. 
isn't your platform Mark? <laughs> Alice, where are you? I'm on Twitter as Ali Rouge. Follow along. I'm at Anna Brading on Twitter and we are at Naked Security. We've been lucky enough to be nominated uh, for Best Podcast and other awards for Naked Security at the European Security Blogger Awards. So we'll put a little link in the show notes. And if you would like to vote for us, please do. Um, you can also rate and review our podcast as well. There's a, there's a few begging things for you there. Um, hit us up at nakedsecurity.sofos.com for all the latest security news. And until next time, stay, stay secure. Stay secure.